Right, come on. Do something. Do something amazing. Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode... Can you imagine a cliff face that is a kilometre high and it's slightly tipped forward? That's your climb. I was standing there wavering and this old guy kind of went past me and just started climbing. And I looked at him and I said, do you mind if I follow you? And he went, no, 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 it's fine. He said, are you frightened? I went, I'm absolutely terrified. Running with Jake, the podcast. Because every runner needs the occasional plot. And here's your host, Jake Lowe. Okay, you ready for some amazing stuff? Yeah, of course. Okay, welcome to the show. <laughs> it's Running with Jake. The podcast, your weekly dose of running motivation. Every Wednesday, a full-length episode of magical, just a ball of fun, motivation, tips, tricks. Let's just set the tone for any new listeners that may be listening to the show for the first time. I'm really happy that you found us. We've got a great guest on today, so you'll want to stick around for this. Awesome. Matt Wyman, he's coming up on the show today. Also, we're going to be taking another one of your questions. We do it every single week. It is hashtag AskJake. And I have a sneaking suspicion that at some point throughout today's show, Pete, the producer of the podcast, is going to mention his testicles. <laughs> I was not. It's, it's going to happen. It's go- I'm just warning you. This is a, a warning now. So you can switch off. Uh, switch off. We won't be offended if you don't want to hear about Pete's testicles. I hear about his testicles a lot at the moment. It's a regular topic of conversation with the voice messages that we exchange. <laughs> it's going to happen. Do you know, only the other day, my testicles became a point of discussion on LinkedIn, and that was completely accidental. <laughs> and I've, I've really, since then, I, I wasn't going to mention them, and, um, and you did. Because I realised that I, I mentioned them too often, like on a LinkedIn post. And this was just, it was a really deep post, man. And, and it was like really positive. And then I realised as I wrote it, I, I read it out to myself. And I thought, oh no, I've become one of those LinkedIn wankers. And all they do is show off about stuff. So I thought at the end, I'd put, by the way, I just want to balance this up with something negative. My right nut's really hurting at the moment. And then, like, a little like a picture of a nut, and then, um, I can't remember, like, a laughy face or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got loads of, well, I say loads of, a reasonable amount of reaction to it, lots of uh, likes and stuff. And then, rather than people focusing on the stuff that I put the actual emotional stuff, which was actually very positive, nobody focused on that. Everyone focused on the nut. And you're like, at that point, I realised that this is it. <laughs> There's no more no more discussion of nuts or anything like that. And then yesterday I was talking to the doctor about my nuts. And, <laughs> you know, you know I spent so much time. I work on my own in my own little studio. I deal with my clients who I get on really, really well with. I speak very openly with people. I don't use the correct medical term for things. So when you're speaking to the doctor, I can't even think of the correct words for parts of the body. Because I'm like, yeah, yeah, uh, just right in my bollock. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't say, I can't say that to a doctor. So I'm saying, uh, yes, just um, a right of the... Um, and I'm, searching my mind for the correct word. I just feel sorry for today's guest, Matt, Matt Wyman. He's a great guy, very professional. I love catching up with him. He's a writer, he's an author, got a book coming out, he's a runner, got a great story. He 
I, I'm sure he felt he was associating himself with a very professional podcast. I'm not sure he would have agreed to come on the show had he have known that we're going to talk about your testicles, which we, we've only kind of alluded to. And I, I wonder, now we've gone down this path, and yes, I, I, I accept that I started the conversation. Should we just get it out in the open now? I don't mean literally, but shall, no, we, shall we just... No, I don't think... Should we, should we just put people should. in the picture a little bit? Uh, or not? No, I don't. I don't, just I, don't I don't even think we need to because after the LinkedIn furor, I just think that you know there's too much mention of my testicles, and now you know we're we're, we're talking about it on the podcast. And, and Matt, who, like you say, is a credible and proper person, and um, he's on the show. And I, unfortunately, I wasn't able to take part of the conversation because we recorded it the other day. I was doing some other stuff, so I wasn't able to do that. So Matt uh, will probably be listening right now to the podcast because we'll send him a link to it, and he'll want to hear. How how he sounds and everything, and he's like a, a, a broadcaster himself. Mm. He's been on Radio 1, for God's sake. I bet he didn't talk about his balls. And here he is now listening to this, waiting to listen to himself, but instead he's hearing about my nads. That's no introduction to any show. And there you go. That concludes today's introduction to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it so far. Stick around. We've got a great guest coming up on the show. <laughs> we are going to get Matt on. We've got to get off this subject. I appreciate that we didn't actually tell you exactly what the situation is with Pete, but as you heard... They have gone viral, so if you do want to find out more about it, check out Pete's Plums on LinkedIn. Right, let's get Matt on the show. For the show notes and video content, go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Running with Jake, the podcast. Today's guest is Matt Wyman. He is a writer by day, a painter by night, and when he does have time, he quite likes a little bit of running, going to get into a good chat about running on today's show. He's got an upcoming book. You've got to check this book out. It is called Failure Is An Option. Failure Is An Option, and that's out April this year. And the book is about Matt's journey in running, from his early interests when he was young to an obsession in his 50s, beginning with the local Saturday Park Run and then pushing towards 100-mile ultramarathons and beyond. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, Jake. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's a pleasure. Always like to chat all things running. And I can see you're looking very chilled. We're connecting on Zoom here. Have you been out for a run today yet? Is it a bit early when we're recording? No, I have, actually. Tuesday is my... uh, I have Monday off. Ah. Monday is a day off. And then uh, I start on Tuesday, start in anger. And uh, so Tuesday's quite a hard day. Downhill from there. I like to hear our guests and what their training schedules are like and what they get up to. Look, I'm really interested to know, Matt, this book. It's so intriguing. I mean, the title for a start, Failure is an Option, which I just find fascinating. How does somebody get from doing the park runs and bridging that gap to then doing these 100-mile ultramarathons and some, like, in what some people would call some insane events that take so much physical and mental strength. How did that work for you? I think that I'm not alone, actually, in in getting into parkrun and then thinking, what can I do next? Yes, I've taken it to an extreme by going to 100 milers, but I think everyone kind of thinks, well, if I could do 5K, maybe I could do 10K, maybe I could do a half, maybe I could do a marathon. Parkrun is almost like a kind of a touch paper, I think, for a lot of people. You know, it builds confidence and starts thinking, well, where can I take it next? Uh, so really the book is is like an everyman's journey, actually, from from the parkrun to where next. And the thing is, when you've hit the 10K, you think, maybe I can do a half. And then it just keeps going and, and effectively, where does it end? So funny, because I say to a lot of people, I'm... I- coach runners of all levels Matt and I, I say to people you know when they say, oh the classic I can't imagine running a half marathon or a 10k or a marathon or the, you know the ultras that you do 
but you, you, I said to people, you, you're not, you're not in that shape right now. That's not in your mind. That's not what you're training for. That's not your focus. You're perhaps looking at getting the trainers on for the first time and building up that ability to go and get involved in the local park run. But it's that curiosity, isn't it? I think that, oh, what's the next step? What am I capable of? What's your driver, Matt? What's is there one thing that kind of the overriding driver and fuel that you use to get involved in these things? Because as I always say, if you're looking after your physical and mental health and well-being, we know that's really important, right? More, more important than ever. We don't need to go and do like 100 mile ultras, do we? We don't need to do that to feel fit and look after ourselves. What's your driver? Why do you do it? I think for me, it, it began with speed and time so part one my goal was i've got to get you know 23 minutes 22 minutes 21 minutes and i spent ages trying to get under 20 minutes that was my my ultimate goal and and i think i did it twice and at the same time i sort of became aware of the fact that I probably wasn't going to get any quicker i i felt that i had gone as as fast as i could go given my age given how much training i was doing to to get under 20 minutes and i pretty much killed myself twice to, to do it and sort of floored myself for the entire weekend and I was thinking right I can't go much faster I, you know I'm, I'm maybe I could take the odd second off because you know how it is when you first start committing to a certain distance you, you kind of go through a honeymoon period don't you where you can take off massive chunks of time and then that time starts to shrink a bit and I was getting down to that sort of seconds and I started thinking well if I can't go any quicker I still love running maybe I can go longer and you know, I'd run 10Ks half, a couple of marathons, and I just started sort of ultramarathon sort of got on my radar. And I think with a lot of people, you look at an ultramarathon and it's like it gets into your head and it doesn't go away. And you think, I really want to try and do this. And it's massively intimidating when you start getting into distances beyond sort of 50K. I mean, even 50K, the first time I did that, you know, I'm very conscious that 5K can seem like a, a, a massive challenge for a lot of people. So it's it's all relative. But when you look at the next distance and you think, I don't know if I can do that. But at the same time, it's very difficult to go, nah, do you know what? I can't be bothered. I'm not going to try. Pretty much everyone goes, I'm going to give it a go. That was the driver. I wanted to go longer. Didn't think I could go quicker anymore. And so I had to kind of retrain to, to, to start to go longer. But it was still, you know, it's a deeply intimidating journey to go on as, as you start to increase your distances. It's a very different type of journey as well, isn't it? You know, when you shift that focus from time and pace, as I'm sure a lot of people listening to this can relate to, they're chasing that magical 20-minute barrier. It might be 30 minutes for a park run. It doesn't matter. It's just what's important to them and what's challenging. And then when you shift the focus to distance and completion, that changes things a lot. Do you find that there's more or less pressure chasing times over much shorter distances versus completion of, of seriously challenging uh, long stuff, the ultramarathons, even though there might not be times associated with it. Where, I'm interested to know where you find the most pressure. I think there's an awful lot of psychological pressure or challenge that you face on longer distances because you've got more time to think about it. I think the process is the same, actually, doing a, doing a park run on a Saturday morning or running 100 miles. If you're going for a time, you've set yourself a certain goal, you're going to be a bit keyed up beforehand. You're going to have a flood of adrenaline when you start. It's going to get difficult halfway through you're hanging on at the end it doesn't matter whether you're talking about 5k or, or a marathon really it's the same process but when you're looking at 100 miles you've got an awful lot more time for your head to go a bit i suppose you maybe get a niggle and it starts playing on your mind and you have to tackle it and so it's the same process it's just an awful lot more time to stew <laughs> and, and let it undermine your 
your good work, if you like. You mentioned the word tackle there, and I, I can completely relate to that with my own running. You know, I'm a runner through and through, even, even if I stop the podcast and stop coaching tomorrow. You know, it's what I love, like yourself. How do you tackle those darker moments, shall we say? You know, those real challenging moments when you know you've got so much further to go and you're feeling pretty uncomfortable, the going's getting tough. Do you have kind of certain methods or techniques or does it depend on, on the event and situation? I mean, I'm very keen to point out I'm not some sort of veteran master of, of this distance. I've done, I think I've run about 600 milers and it's a learning process. It's a work in progress. Each attempt is pretty valuable in terms of the experience and what you learn and the mistakes that you make. And so in terms of sort of dark times, and, and there are a lot, I think it's a combination of physical exhaustion and mental exhaustion when, when you start sort of, th- well, the mistake you can make is to start thinking how much further you've got to go. If you're 60 miles in and absolutely exhausted, if you start thinking I've got another 40 miles, your head can just go and you just you start to question what you're doing. And so you've got to sort of really bring that back and just almost run in the moment and just enjoy what you're doing or focus on any problem that you've got because whatever problem you're facing it will pass um doesn't matter whether you're feeling a bit sick or whether you've got a, a, you know a niggle you can sort of adjust your running style or, or walk a bit which is something actually which was new to me initially that, that sort of when you're running 100 miles you're going to have to do a spot of walking if unless you're at the sharp end and pushing for the win the majority of people will build in a, a little bit of walking tends to be with hills and i guess your your concept of what defines a hill becomes more liberal as as an ultra marathon progresses so to begin with first couple of miles everyone runs the hills and then you face you know another hill and people start walking and it has a sort of knock-on effect and people walk up the hill you get 60 miles in and it can be you know the slightest incline and you're sort of looking at someone going is this a hill yeah i think it's a hill i think we'll walk but actually it it, it helps and as long as you're constantly moving and you keep moving you will get there in the end so it really is a question of i suppose process over outcome if you start thinking about the outcome and you've got 40, 50 miles to go, you're, you're not going to enjoy it. And as you say, or touch on it, it is all relative, you know, whether a master and veteran or not, it's a challenge is a challenge to the individual, isn't it? Especially if it's something new that they're perhaps tackling or growing in experience and knowledge, all those races and events that you do, the training sessions every single one is an opportunity to kind of learn and grow, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of move forward. Or oh, I'm going to take those bits from that event because that worked really well. Or, oh, I'm not so sure about that, whether it's fueling or pacing or tackling hills or whatever. Yeah. It's really interesting what you say about the whole run-walk thing because I hear from a lot of people, especially when it's the classic kind of road-running scene of all distances, just want to keep going. I mean, sometimes people speak to me about their goal in, let's say, a marathon or a half marathon or whatever, and, and, and their goal is maybe not time-related. It's just, I just want to do it without walking. Mm. I mean, that's their goal, which which is fine. But when you're doing things like you're doing, and I know from other guests we've had on the show, they refer to it as a a foot race for for deliberate reason because it's just you're on on foot and you've got to cover the distance. That's right. And that is the goal. Tell me about the Dragon's Back race because I watched, and I can't, you might be able to tell me this, I can't remember where I saw this, but it was a documentary, which I'm sure you've seen. Maybe you're in it. I have no idea. But that was on uh, some television show and it was just incredible. Like, this is just insane. It's insane. When did you do that? Uh, I took part in the Dragons Back last year. It's um, it's a six-day foot race from North Wales. It starts in Conway Castle and it finishes in South Wales, coast to coast, in Cardiff, on Cardiff Castle. And it basically follows the spine of Wales, the sort of knuckled mountainous spine. So you go through Snowdonia, you hit the Malwinians, you, uh, you Brecon Beacons, and it's, uh, I'm not sure the distance, I think it's about 
I think it's about 260 kilometres, something like that. It's hot. I think just I've ever I've just I've just had a quick Google. Yes, 380 kilometres. Oh, underselling it. Okay, it's got 380 <laughs> kilometres. Se- you you were don't don't underplay your achievement there. <laughs> Seventeen and a half thousand metres of ascent yeah. over the course of three hundred and eighty kilometres, which is almost twice the height of Everest. That's how they they sell it. Yeah, they do. yeah. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's hot and it's a really incredible. It's a, for me, it was a deeply intimidating not an experience, but the approach to it. So the in, the year beforehand, I thought if I if I'm going to sign up for this, and when I signed up, my finger literally hovered over the button for you know several minutes, thinking, is this is this really a good idea? Um, am I really capable of this? But I couldn't get it out of my head. I, I really wanted to experience it or try it. And I just thought, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm absolutely going to, I'm going to have to take it seriously. I'm going to have to devote a year of my running life to running in the mountains, um, getting used to that kind of thing. And I live in the southeast of England, which is not really, you know, blessed with jagged mountain peaks and, uh, you know, steep scarps. So I had to be creative in, in what, mm. what I was doing. But I took it really seriously and, you know, many sleepless nights. But I, and just in terms of the sort of the mountain craft, in terms of getting your gear ready, there's an awful lot of mandatory kit that you've got to carry because, well, you know, it's dangerous being, being out on the mountains and in all weather conditions. I ended up really enjoying the experience of preparing because it took me out of my comfort zone again. And, and I had to sort of occupy that space that I hadn't occupied before, which was like navigating, it's self-navigating. You know, I, I could barely find my way around a map when I first started getting my head around what I had to do. Just, to, I, I say, took it seriously. And um, so that whatever happened on the actual race, I had acquired new skills and, and opened up my horizons a little bit and discovered things that I really enjoyed, things that I hated and things that I wanted to do more of. It was a great experience all, all round. It's great to be curious, isn't it? To, to kind of explore what you might find appealing. It might be your new bag, your new thing. So people listen to this show now that perhaps staying in their comfort zone a little bit and maybe they don't want to go and get on the, the muddy trails because they're not really sure whether they'll enjoy it. Well, just testing things a little bit, of course. Don't need to sign up for some you know, seriously long stuff that's going to take people massively out of their comfort zone. But just testing things and getting curious. I think it's great because you start to understand because we all change and evolve, don't we? And we, it's nice to sort of say, take a measure well, what, what do I enjoy now? Where do I want to take my running and my training and my fitness? What's important to me? I think that's so valuable, actually. I really do. Matt, you, you mentioned, obviously, we talk about this race and it's a different thing altogether. In terms of safety mm. and specifically fear, you know, I've seen some of the videos on this stuff. I mentioned the, the, the program I watch. What's your relationship with fear? Is it, I mean, do you even think about it? Is it something that gets in your head? I mean, we've spoken about it's easy to think, oh, I'm at 60 miles and I've got X amount of miles to do. You know, that's a bad thing to get into the head. But where are you with fear? So, so yeah, I'm, I'm at great pains to not paint myself as some kind of alpha warrior, ultra runner who, who knows no fear and, um, you know, can do anything. I mean, the whole book started off because I was always quite fascinated by those sort of internet images that you see, where you see people sort of staring off to a limitless horizon and it says that there are no limits, you know, that sort of thing that you see. And I thought, well, there are. <laughs> there are limits. Um, you know, I can't run a sub-19 park run. I have my limits. And yet that doesn't mean I can't try and do my best and see where I get to. And so failure is part of that package. If you're going to get out of your comfort zone, as you say, you have to be prepared to not make it, you know, not nail it every time. And, and it's that experience that I wanted to sort of explore and celebrate a bit, really, because I think, you know, failure means you, you didn't make it, you 
you screwed up, you messed up. Um, well, yeah, sometimes or other times, you know, you have tried your very best. You've reached your physical limit for that moment in time. Doesn't mean that you can't come back and have another go. And so that experience is, is really valuable. So I kind of, once I sort of embraced that concept and thought there's no shame in failing, as long as I can look back and go, I tried my best. If I kind of couldn't be bothered, then that, that's a bit, that kind of failure is a bit different. But if I tried my, my level best every time and I find ways that I can keep improving or things that I enjoy in the process, then that's really valid for me. So when it comes to fear, and that is inbuilt into the dragon's back because the first day in particular is really frightening. Unless you're a mountain goat, if you're a regular runner who is just trying to expand their horizons, you, you have to deal with quite a lot of steep ascents, in, including the notorious one, Crib Gok, which is um, an erect, it's a ridge, like a knife edge ridge that's a kilometre high and really, really thin at the top. It really frightened me when if you, you have to go on YouTube and see people pinned with fear to the top of the ridge to think, yeah, this might not be something that is I'm going to feel very comfortable with. It's on that video, actually. Yeah. When you open up the website, the, the Dragon's Back Race, the first thing you see yeah. is, is is that knife edge and you think, wow, which is what provoked the question, to be yeah. honest. And it's, it was, it's just, I can't imagine myself there. No, and I knew it was there and and it frightened me. And I thought, if I'm going to approach this race, I need to... I need to get over that fear. I need to conquer it. So I thought the best thing I can do is go and wreck it. So I went down on my own a um, couple of months beforehand with, you know, high hopes and um, made my way up to Krugok and I got to the foot of it and I looked up and it's, it's what, they, what you don't really see often in, in the videos. You see the top, but you don't see the climb up. And the climb up is, do you imagine a cliff face that is a kilometre high and it's slightly tipped forward? Not much, but slightly <laughs> tipped forward. That's, that's your climb. And I was looking at it thinking, if I don't do this, it's all over. It, it, literally, I've spent six months training. If I don't get up this, and I was standing there wavering, and this old guy kind of went past me and said hello and, and just started climbing. And I looked at him and I said, do you mind if I follow you? And he went, no, 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 it's fine. He said, are you frightened? I went, I'm absolutely terrified. And he said, you just follow the polish, which is the, the sort of smoothed out bit of rock. And so I did have to really, really swallow my fear and just go for it. Once I got going, once I got over, you know, 30 metres, 20 metres, it's not that high, but it's enough to look down and you think, God, that's quite high. Once you get over that, it starts to get silly. <laughs> you, start, you start thinking, well, I've got this high. And as I said, I took it seriously. I'm making sure I've got my anchor points going. And it's not, it is quite technical, but you don't need to be, you know, a, a super experienced mountain climber. You just need to not be an idiot, you know, and respect the fact that it is, it is high and it is, you know, there is danger. Um... And then once I got to the top, you know, I started moving along and I saw people grip with fear, you know, standing, I saw one guy who was absolutely in a ball and his mate was standing over him, fearless, looking quite embarrassed, going, I'm really sorry, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm waiting for him to get over his fear. And I carried on and the whole time I, I just had this lump of fear in my throat and, and I think I sweated exclusively through the palms of my hands. The whole time, you know, I was just dehydrating practically, terrified. And I got to the end of it, got to, to the far end. And I just thought, that was stupid. <laughs> that was really terrifying. And I don't feel any less assured than I did before I did it. And so it, it, it kind of remained with me all the way up to the race. And then actually on the day of the race, Krugok is really towards the last section of the day. And it had been such a tough day, so testing and so hard. And I was quite up against it in terms of, cutoffs and I, I realised at the foot of Krugok that unless I just move and I move efficiently I'm going to get timed out 
the second time I attempted it, it was a transformation. I just lost all fear because I was so determined to to to, to complete the day, to, to to not be timed out, that I got to the top and I walked across, which is something I've seen people do. Um, and I just I just spread my arms and I walked along the ridge and I don't quite know what possessed me to to do that. Um, but I felt completely calm. I was exhausted. And I just thought, let's just just go. It was a very calm day. There was no wind. I'm sure if there'd been a breath of wind, I would have been all, you know, all four points crawling wow. around. It's a completely you know. different thing, isn't it? It's a completely different thing. You know, you're talking about being timed out, where you are racing the clock. Yeah. When most people doing road races, they're racing the clock because they want a personal best or a time that's important to them. Yeah. Whereas you're actually racing the clock just so you can keep going. Yes. And you don't have to stop. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. You know, everything I've just described to you doesn't sound like running. And it isn't in some ways. It's moving as efficiently as you can across the terrain. And that terrain changes massively. It can be very runnable or it can be completely impossible, but you have to keep moving. And and that was the that was the sort of new area that I had found by signing up to the Dragons Back that I found I really enjoyed. And I want to do more of it, more sort of uh, mountain running or, or foot races over mountains, which do involve a fair amount of scrambling and not finding yourself pinned to the mountain in, in terror. And I enjoyed that challenge of, of moving safely and efficiently. Is that the terrain where you get most joy? Okay, maybe not the, the, the real extreme kind of sheer stuff, but you know that environment of being out there in the thick of it, beautiful surroundings. And the reason I ask this is I, I sense that from talking to you, but also looking at your Instagram account. I know that you, you're into your oil paintings as well. There's some fantastic work on there. And a lot of these kind of beautiful landscapes and things. Is that, do you feel at peace there? Is that is that is that your kind of running? Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, there is something very, very special about climbing above the clouds and I've done that before on a race called Transvolcania which is on the island of La Palma which we all know now is you know that, that scene of a, an ongoing volcano but there, there is a very famous race there where a lot of people see it on YouTube and just go I'm going to do that it's a volcanic mountain and you climb up above the clouds because it's a cloud inversion it's in the middle of the Atlantic it's in the Canaries the, the clouds are very low so it doesn't take long before you're above them and and you literally look like you're on top of the world and there is something pretty amazing about running properly running um, and you're looking down and you're seeing the clouds and um, and it is a very peaceful experience but when you're above the clouds or when you're running in the mountains the weather can change and so that's another another element that can factor in um, so you have to do a, an awful lot of thinking it's very different from from road running but I just found it was a, a field of running that I I really enjoyed and uh, I'm not very good at it but you know there's room for improvement if you like I think if you're measuring yourself against yourself yeah. and you are your own competition, you can almost never really lose. It's a, it's a sort of level playing field to a degree, meaning you've got a chance because you're you're setting your own standards and targets. So we spoke with Holly Stables last week on the show, who is ex-GB athlete and was a, now ex-podcaster on the Marathon Talk Show, which is unfortunately no longer um, out there. But Holly was saying about running as fast as you can, and we got into a chat about this, that actually it sounds really sort of, oh, just run as fast as you can, a bit vague and a bit wishy-washy. But if that is your aim, let's say you are pace-driven, and it, we're talking slightly different here about completion, of course, but let's say you're pace-driven, the park run type stuff and things. If your aim is to just run as fast as you can, you can always attempt that, no matter where you are in life and what age you are and what's going on. Does that make sense? Even if you're losing some fitness, you, if you're just trying to do as well as you can on a given day, and you know, you mentioned this yourself about, oh, I just want to do as well as I can. If we're really honest with ourselves, I think I think we sort of know, don't we, if we've done that or not. You mentioned being lazy and you know whether you've been lazy or not. I think we know if we've worked hard, don't we, yeah. and if we've done as well as we can. 
I think. Yeah. I think. And we're talking about these great, amazing experiences, Matt, but I know it, it, it almost didn't happen for you, from what I understand. What, what happened, if I can ask you, back in 2018 that, that almost put a stop to you, Ray? Oh, yes. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it, it always sounds like a bit of a cliche, but I, I actually got hit by a truck. I was uh, training for North Downs Way 100, my first 100 miler. And I'd done all the work and uh, I was in a traffic accident where I was stationary in traffic and a 18-wheel truck with a sea container on the back of it uh, didn't stop and plowed into the back of us. And um, my wife and I were, were fine, but we, I ended up with a, a sort of vestibular injury. Vestibular is to, to do with your balance. And I basically just felt like I was at sea for six months and... I was absolutely determined not to let it stop my running, but it sort of did because every time I ran, I I just felt ill. I just felt sick because it's like being on a roller coaster constantly. And you start running, you start shaking up your, your brain and your balance. And um, I didn't do the 100 miler. I mean, I had to pull out of that, but I, I had to relearn how to run again, really. I learned to do it and it was it was fine. Um, but the, the, the problem that I had for a long time was running in the dark. For balance, you rely on three things. It's the, the sensors in your feet, your vision and your vestibular system and you can do without one of those so you can close your eyes and you can you know keep your balance you can't do without two of them so if i close my eyes and i try and walk in a straight line i tend to go off sideways um so i have to work really hard with a damaged vestibular system to keep my balance i have to look you know i have to use my eyes a lot sometimes it feels like they're on stalks and so when i run in the dark it is a bit it can be a bit of an issue in that i tend to go off a little bit sideways so i was very conscious of things like dragon's back going across crib gok that my balance wasn't quite as good as it should be but actually i kind of overcompensated in a way so because i was really really conscious of the fact that, that you know if i close my eyes i'm a bit i'm a bit wobbly um i, I probably didn't blink in the you know 30 minutes it took or hour or whatever it takes to get over crib gok so so yeah it was a setback um, and I kind of had to relearn a very basic thing, which was was how to run in a in a straight line, <laughs> which was an odd thing to do. This is something that still affects you. Then you're not sort of over it uh, you, as such. I mean, you're talking about a damaged system. Is, is yeah. this something that you you have now? You live with? Uh, I've had I've had a, a year of neurotherapy to uh, just how to keep my balance, um, which is a, so you wouldn't know that I have any balance issues. I mean, I don't stand here wobbling around, but I feel quite tired if I'm running in the night, for example. Um, and the first few times that I did that was hard because it, uh, you're concentrating on a on a beam of light. I just have to work a little bit harder. So I've always maintained that ever since that crash, there's nothing. It, it hasn't stopped me from doing anything that I want to do. I just have to work at it a bit harder, and it just leaves me a little bit more tired. But it's a very much an invisible injury, if, if you like, and kind of comic as well. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perhaps for I don't know, maybe other people or your wife <laughs> watching you in the house, maybe. But you know, you talk about these three different things that obviously help you with the balance yeah, and the yeah. sensors in your feet. Do you, with that damaged system, do you, do you work on the other things? So, for example, sort of balance work and things, single-legged stuff. Is that yeah. something that yeah. that helps you? Have you had to focus on that? Uh, yes, loads. I mean, that's all part of the sort of the th- you have to retrain the brain to um, to fire up all those sensors that you would normally rely on. They just it, it, they're kind of like very fine hairs, if you like. And when you get an eighteen-wheel truck smashing into you at forty miles an hour, those hairs get quite kind of blown around, and they you have to reconnect them all. And the way that you do that is by um, 
sort of facing things that otherwise would have made me feel ill. So I probably spent about six months not really moving my head around very much because it just made me feel, if I moved my head to the left, it would feel like my head was just going round and round and round. So I would tend to keep very still. Um, and it was, I, I mean, I didn't realise what I was doing, but I was basically minimising the symptoms. And then you have to learn. So well, one of the things I had to do was watch a sort of specialist YouTube channel where it was just a, a camera walking down a busy street and there's people crossing your path, left, right and centre. And as soon as you move your eyes, for me, it, it could make me feel quite ill. And I just had to keep doing it until you overcome it. So it's, it's like any challenge, really. You just sort of keep pressing at it. So in some ways, all the kind of endurance running I've been doing helped me, put me in good stead, I think, So in terms of my mindset, in terms of I'm going to crack this. I'm not going to let this beat me because it, it just seems so silly, you know, that I couldn't run through a tunnel without going sideways. Is that your nature, Matt? Are you sort of wired that way? I'm, I'm kind of sensing this. Obviously, it's the first time we've spoken properly on, on, on Zoom on this call today. But, you know, we talk about, obviously, these the, the races, the, the dragon's back and the, the near sheer cliff face, the, the fear of sort of, you know, following that chap to the top and all that kind of stuff. And then overcoming, obviously, your experience in 2018 in the accident. Do you rise to challenge quite easily? You know, some people can crumble, can't they, underneath it? Yeah. For some people, it takes a bit of time to come out the other side and then they use it as fuel to drive them forward. Where are you in this? Is it a quick process? How do you use those challenges? No, it's not quick. I think, again, it is process over outcome. So I'm not the sort of person who's just going to keep banging my head into failure and just keep going back and back and back and back again and and fail. If I I don't complete something, I'll I'll kind of analyse it and go, well, what went wrong? What, What did I not train hard enough or did I, was something unexpected happen um, and I'll go back and, and try to understand that and try to overcome it and it was the same with balancing which you know it's something that we all take for granted you know I can't walk in a straight line in the dark you know what how, how does that work and I thought well I've, I'm going to do this and it, it you know I need it took help with the neurotherapist but um, I knew that I could get there I wasn't going to give up even though the exercises that I had to do made me feel sick often made me throw up that was you know and they're literally just moving your head from side to side so you sort of put up you put up with the the discomfort and the pain because you know that there's a a a reward to be had at the end whether that reward is i can run through a tunnel without going sideways or or it's a buckle for running 100 miles it's neither here nor there i guess you're right there is a there is a focus there is a goal but i don't just sort of blindly keep going for it without learning from the process learning from the failure if, if you like i think that's a fantastic takeaway process over outcome i think it's so important and it, i think it's very easy to just become focused on the goal i've certainly done that before in the past and 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 wrongly so really because it's those baby steps i think it helps sort of calm you a little bit in my i'm sort of reflecting now as i speak and think about my own experiences because sometimes journeys and challenges and goals and targets they can feel overwhelming can't they particularly yeah. if it's a, if it's quite far away from where you currently are so therefore you might not have super belief that you can achieve it but if there's a, a big journey ahead of you so marathon is a classic one isn't it if somebody's working towards that and they're perhaps at a 10k level at the moment and they've got this huge gap to bridge you know how am i going to do that it's those process goals just little steps of progression it's that consistency i really love that I really love that. What's on the agenda for you this year, uh, Matt? Obviously, you're a very busy guy. You're loving your running, the outdoor stuff, done some great stuff. What, have, you, have you got some kind of big goals or anything that you're working towards at the moment? Uh, yeah, I've got... Well, I, I had three for the year, three 100-milers. The first one was the Arc of Attrition, which took place three weeks ago in, in uh, Cornwall. 
and it's a uh, hundred miles around the Cornish coast, which I didn't finish. <laughs> but it's not um, not unusual. I think about fifty percent of the course DNF. It is. It's really challenging. Um, I really loved it. I had a I had a great time, and I'm determined to go back and and have another go. Um, it just didn't work out for me this time. I got halfway round and running in the dark with my balance issues. Actually, just it can often make me feel a bit ill, and the cutoffs were quite tight. So. I know that if I just have a rest and just let things settle down, I'll be all right again. But I didn't have that opportunity. And I kind of let my head go a bit, actually. I thought, I've got, I've got 50 miles to go, and I feel dreadful. I've been throwing up. And I, and I knew that those 50 miles, because of the nature of the course, you have 36-hour cutoff, which is quite a long time for a 100-miler. I had 18 hours left, and I just started thinking, 18 hours, feeling like this. And my head went. And it's easily done. And, you know, I don't regret it, but I will... I took a lot of learning points away from it, but it was great fun. Thoroughly enjoyed the the experience. I'm doing the South Downs Way 100 in June, which is the the last of well, there are four Centurion 100s, and I've I've completed three of them, and this is my my fourth. And then the one that I'm most intimidated by, and I still quite can't quite get my head around, is a, a track 24 hour. Uh, so the idea is to run 100 miles around a track in 24 hours, which seems completely pointless. I mean, you literally have got to the destination within 400 metres. And um, <laughs> I can, it's a very pure form of endurance running, I suppose. I, you know, I love the adventure. We've just been talking about getting up above the clouds and, and seeing the landscape and feeling like, you know, at, at peace with your surroundings. A track 100 just removes all of that. There is no surroundings. It's... it's- it's so interesting talking to you, Matt, because we we speak to lots of different people on the show, and I love that, you know, the variety and the guests. And recently we spoke with Damien Carr, who holds the third best UK time for 24-hour track oh, running. Oh, wow. Okay. So a totally different thing. And he uses your words, actually, talking about this this kind of pure pure running t- yeah. for him, because it literally is, you reach your destination in 400 metres, but you've just got to keep going for 24 hours. And it is a totally different sort of challenge, isn't it? I mean, all these things involve your mind being very strong and in the right place. And and I guess all all of us, everybody running and having different challenges, challenges to the individual, have to have this kind of internal dialogue, this conversation, keep going, no, you should stop. No, I shouldn't. Oh, let's, you know, mm-hmm. oh, I'm looking to the future. No, just think about the process, just one foot in front of the other and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's very different kind of worlds apart from Damien who we spoke to and then yourself that loves kind of having your head above the clouds I love it I love it totally different it's completely different different and I've no idea what it will be like I'm kind of aware that going around in circles with my balance issues it's probably not the best thing to be doing but I've got six or seven months to 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 prepare for it um you know I'm I'm really looking forward to it it also happens on the day that the clocks go back so technically it's 25 hour track 100 (laughs) there's that that magical spare hour just in case it all goes wrong you've got to factor that into it I love it it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today I could just keep talking running and all things crazy adventures and it's 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 a problem for me I have to be honest Pete the producer who unfortunately couldn't join us for the chat today he's always ribbing me when we have our show meetings that we we started this show we're over well full all the episodes over 200 episodes we release it every week and it was to inspire motivate educate obviously the listeners and and but i'm getting influenced by people like yourself i'm i'm i, I finished recording these calls and i'm going to google all these different events especially when you mentioned the south downs way because we're in in winchester oh, okay. here. we've recently moved 
So I'm sort of, yeah, I'm on a marathon path at the moment for Manchester, but once that's out of the way, I'm going to start exploring the off-road. I do like it, yeah, a bit yeah. like yourself. I do like Home it. Home turf for you. Our paths may cross yeah, it will. at some point. Who knows? It's been a pleasure talking to you. If people want to get their hands on your book, Failure is an Option. It's out in April, right? And I guess all good bookshops, Matt, where can people order that? Uh, all good booksellers. It's paperback, audio, uh, an ebook awesome stuff matt before i let you go i have one final question for you my friend we ask all of our guests this question we save the best question until last i don't know if it is the best question are you ready Go on. okay this is your weekly dose of running motivation uh-huh. what does the word motivation mean to you uh, the word motivation means to me uh, i will feel bad if i don't get off my backside and go and do it That'll do me. I love it. Matt, it's been a pleasure. Have a great rest of the day. Catch up soon. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Running with Jake, the podcast. So look, are you and your plums going to be okay for the Manchester Relay? That's all I want to know. Me and my gonads are going to be absolutely fine for Manchester. You've got this little issue. You do have a bit of a problem. You have sent me a number of messages. I have given you some some advice. Dr. Jake here. I have given you some advice. Make sure you adhere to the advice, Pete, and we'll uh, we'll catch up on you going as next week. You and Marty gave me some advice, and it was good advice. Um, and, and you know, you're a, obviously a running coach, so you do have some experience with this type of stuff. Uh, Marty's a vet as well, so she comes with a lot of credibility. So you're in safe hands, basically. <laughs> You've got a running coach and a vet looking after your balls. How amazing. Well, you know, I'm glad to not be stretching the NHS any further. And now it's time to take another one of your non-testicle-related questions. It is hashtag AskJake. Today's question comes from Justin, who wants to know, what is the biggest lesson that I learned from my first marathon? Wow. Now that takes me back. Justin, the first marathon was back in 2008. It was London, known then as the Flora London Marathon. So many lessons I learned, but I would say one of the biggest, if not the biggest, is the importance of balance between body and fitness or the cardiovascular system. I I was a personal trainer back then and I was relatively fit through other forms of exercise, but I was still quite new to running. And I realised in the race and afterwards, certainly in reflection, that actually my cardiovascular system was perhaps ready. The engine was ready for to tackle 26.2 miles, but the body wasn't. It was a little bit fragile and I just needed to apply patience to allow the body to build that strength and resilience that we need to be able to run the marathon well. I would say that's my biggest lesson. I hope that helps. Find the balance between the body and your fitness, your cardiovascular system. If you've got a question, then it's hashtag AskJake, or you can drop me an email at podcast at runningwithjake.com. That's it for another episode of Running With Jake, the podcast. I hope you have enjoyed today's show. Massive thank you to today's guest, Matt Wyman. If you do want to check out Matt's book, get your hands on a copy, failure is an option, then head over to the show notes page, runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. That's it. Have a great week. Catch you next Wednesday. We've done here. We, we've overstayed our welcome. The show really must not go on. See you next week. Oh, and one more thing. Discipline is the fuel of achievement. So you better get running. <laughs> <laughs>